0: The the, uh, well, I know there's still some that aren't feeling great, but uh, I'm thankful for you. Today, I'm going to preach a little bit different sermon. I want to share with you the mission and the vision of Lighthouse Church. I went back to Sister Jeannie on the computer with our pro presenter that puts everything on the screen, and I handed her a 17-page document. Word for word, and she thanked me. She said, oh, I love this. I said, don't get used to it because it'll happen about once every five years. <laughs> normally, if, if, if and this is not to scare anybody that wants to be a part of that ministry, but normally I say, follow me, and here may be a couple verses. And sometimes I'll get the creative team to make a cool slide, but this is not normal. And so uh, I, I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen as God helps us tell you what the mission is. And the vision of Lighthouse Church Uh, We're going to read three portions of scripture You can stay seated if you'd like But Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, and Acts chapter 1 These portions of scripture, you know them But it starts, and, and, and in my mind, it's part and parcel of the great commission That Jesus Christ gave his church Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, 18 all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Recorded by another author, Mark, but still that same portion of time, Mark records it this way in Mark sixteen fifteen. When Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick serpents up with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus goes on to say in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 when he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end or the King James would say to the uttermost parts of the earth. The mission and the vision of Lighthouse Church. I remember vividly, it was 2008 when God had dealt with my wife and I. This church was in the process of looking for a new pastor. And there in 2008, God began to deal with my wife and I about possibly uh, uh, allowing our name to be put in the hat to become pastor of this incredible church. It was June of 2008 and on the way to a kids camp, I think in Louisiana, but to preach a kids camp, my wife and I, Brianne, we drove here to St. Louis. This is where I'm from originally and we, we came and stayed at mom and dad's house and um, we made the stop here in St. Louis on our way to Louisiana because we were trying out and we were going to preach, if you will, at this church and then they could decide if we would make a good pastor or not. And so on that Sunday, Sister Buford and I, we preached. I sat down with the board, and I don't know what they felt, but I know when I left, I felt the direction of God. Immediately, I began to pray. I began to dream. I began to envision what God could and what God would do at Lighthouse Church. Now, maybe I didn't quite see this building. Maybe I didn't see the 180 people that were here, because on those days, and there's a few of y'all that go back that far, On that day, there was probably about 10 or 12 people in the church service then. But I could see that God was not done at Lighthouse. This church was began in 1963 in a one-room kind of schoolhouse-looking building on Sondren Street. God wasn't done. I don't remember the exact day after that, but God began to show me, impress upon me four words or... Four phrases That upon us becoming pastor We immediately begin to use them It became our mission statement Although that's not something I said right away Those four words were on our doors for years At the old church We mentioned them in teaching We mentioned them in preaching But it wasn't until about 2019 Some 11 years later That I really began to think about What a mission statement Is There was much prayer, there was much contemplation about what Lighthouse's church mission statement ought to be I thought about finding a new one, I read other churches mission statement I I thought, and the Lord said very clearly to me, Brandon, I gave you those four words in 2008 I think they still work today So allow me to share that mission statement with you it's four phrases. I know they're more than four words, but I call them four words. But, but it's it's simply this. A place to be loved, a place to belong, a place to believe, and a place to become. We, we've since put it, and I don't know if you've seen it because we haven't put it out, but we, we've put it in a kind of a circular Uh, uh, Way because to me it's not just a linear progression but it's a circular progression one that doesn't have an end because it starts with someone feeling the love from the church and the more that they feel the love of the church the more they belong to what this church is the more they come to church and the more they hang around Holy Ghost filled believers they themselves begin to believe what the word of God says and ultimately the Holy Ghost is going to come and ultimately... A water baptism is going to happen and they will become who God has. And then it needs to start all over again with another. But you see, a mission statement is useless unless there is some vision that's enunciated and clarified. you got to have a plan. You have to have a way to accomplish the mission. This is what's commonly called a, a vision statement. Our vision statement, and I'm gonna read it for you just so we're all on the same page. It starts with Beloved, that Lighthouse Church is committed to expressing the love of Christ to every person all the time. From the moment you walk through our doors, we want you to feel right at home. Your journey to Christ begins here. We wanna assist you as you find your place in Him, because Lighthouse Church is a place for you to be loved, it's a place to belong. Lighthouse Church offers more than just church services. We invite you to experience our many ministries and fellowships. There's a place here for your entire family. Whether children's ministry, youth ministries, or other regularly scheduled fellowships. This is a place for you to belong. It's a place to believe because Lighthouse Church is committed to teaching and preaching the word of God. As your journey continues, our goal is to help guide you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because everything we do is to help lead and guide you into all truth. Lighthouse is a place for you to believe. It's a place to become for every member of Lighthouse Church is a vital part of the body of Christ. It's our goal to help you find your place in the kingdom of God. The journey does not end at a pew, but rather it begins with ministry. And we invite you to connect with God's calling and experience the joy of working for Him and to become who God says you are. If you want to know what gets me up in the morning, if you want to know what causes me to continue to pastor this church some 14 years later, it's because of this mission and these visions. Again, in 2019, I was challenged to sit down and identify Lighthouse Church's core Values more than just the mission, but what drives us? What values permeate the culture and teachings of our church? If we had to distill everything we do into a succinct list of core values, what would they be? For no other reason except these were the ones that I came up with, there were seven core values. Now they say seven's God's favorite number, so maybe that's why it was there. That Lighthouse Church is a loving church. It's a worshiping church. It's a biblically strong church. Lighthouse Church is a giving church. We are a disciple-making church. We are an equipping church. And we are a sending church. Over the course of the next few months, I hope to take, and there may be some others, Brother Randall may jump in at some of these, but... Over the next few months, we're going to be taking Sundays and preaching and teaching on each of these core values. Today, though, and I don't know that that's necessarily in any certain order, but those of you that are OCD, I'm going to mess you up because I'm going to jump right in the middle of it. And I want to talk to you about one of our core values that also links to a call of action that I feel God has directed our church. Simply this, Lighthouse Church We're a disciple-making church. Okay, now, I want you to look at me for a moment. I know this is different, and I'm reading my sermon, and I'm not going to be yelling and screaming too much, but I need y'all to at least say amen every once in a while. All right? So let's try this out again. Otherwise, it makes me really uncomfortable. Lighthouse Church is and is going to be a disciple-making church. (laughs) There we go. How many of you remember... Uh, I think it was earlier last year uh, where Brother Stan Gleason, pastor in Kansas City, Missouri, also our assistant general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, do you remember when he came and taught on the book that he's written, Follow the Lead? How many of you were a part of those? If you haven't got that book, if you've not read that book, you need to find it. You can go to Amazon and find it. You can go to our Pentecostal publishing house and buy it. If you still can't find it, come find me and I'll help you out. But Follow the Lead... Because a disciple is someone who follows Christ and leads others to do the same. Brother Gleason, I actually called him yesterday or texted him yesterday because I didn't have my book with me at home. It was here at the church, and I wasn't here. He he said it this way, and he he enunciated again. How do you know if you're a disciple? So this is Brother Stan Gleason's, uh, How Do You Know If You're a Disciple? He asks a simple question. Do you have a disciple? If the answer is yes, then you're a disciple. Here's what it means. Is there someone following you right now, following your example, that as long as they follow you and follow your example, you will lead them closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're doing that, then you are a disciple. For the great commission is simple. It pushes you and I to go find someone to lead to Christ. Do you notice that? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach. Can I just help you out? That is not a pastor-only verse. That verse, in fact, nowhere in that verse does it even insinuate that that's what the pastor is going to do. I've already told you I've already preached to you I could take you to the book of Ephesians I believe it's chapter 4 God gave the five-fold ministry pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists and pastors and he said you know what their job is? to equip the church to do the work of the Great Commission now as an individual Brandon Paul Buford needs to go make disciples but as a pastor it's to equip this church to do so It is that as you find it, much like the old adage, maybe you've heard it said, you have to be a friend in order to make a friend. You ever heard that before? Then I would change it just a little bit and say it like this. You have to be near to and you have to be around people who need Jesus in order to find someone that will follow you to the presence of Jesus. It's real hard to bring someone into the presence of Jesus if A, you're never around anybody, or B, you're only around those that already know where his presence is. The old saying says this, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I may not make someone respond to the presence of God. I, I don't have to, to, to make someone uh, and, and can't make anyone be baptized. I cannot fill anybody with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But there is one thing I can do. I can lead them into the presence of God. In order for you and I to become that disciple-making church, we've got to connect to those who need Jesus. Connection. You've seen it plastered on the wall of the of the foyer from the day this church was opened, and it's still there. That word "connect" is what it's all about. I invite you to turn with me to the book of of John, chapter one, because in the book of John, chapter one, we see this process. Uh, we see this connection so perfectly. I'm gonna speed through a little of it, but I've highlighted in my own notes a few things that I want to bring out to you the next day John was standing with two of his disciples this is John the Baptist let's, let's, there's several Johns in scripture this is John the Baptist so remember John the Baptist came out he begins to preach repentance He begins to preach You've got to have fruits Worthy of repentance And the more he preached The more revival happened There were people getting baptized Until they were lined up In the Jordan River One after another It was an incredible revival That was happening with John And one day John is standing there With two of his uh, his disciples And while he's standing there With two of his disciples I'm I'm, I'm struggling Stressing that word His disciples John looks and sees Jesus walking by And John says behold that's the Lamb of God And verse 37 One of the most awkward if you're not careful verses of the Bible And the two disciples heard John say this And they followed Jesus Those were John's disciples, or John the Baptist's disciples. But as soon as he connected them to the presence of Jesus, they followed. That's what you and I are called to do. Not only that, Jesus sees them, he turns around. What are you looking for? Who are you seeking? And They said, Rabbi... Where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And he took them and they saw where he was staying. He stayed with, they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10 hour. And one of John the, John the Baptist's disciples, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And what did he do? He first went and found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And Andrew brought him to Jesus. If you want to know what discipleship is in a nutshell, it's once you have found Jesus, bring someone to him. Once you have experienced Jesus, bring someone to him. When you have experienced the grace and the mercy and the power of God, bring someone to him. I found the Messiah. Then the next day, Jesus, verse 43, goes to Galilee. Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip's from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. What does the next verse say? Then Philip found Nathanael and said, We have found of him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. I found Jesus. Notice that John the Baptist, two, disciples, two followers, those disciples, that, that John shows them Jesus and they start on their journey to follow Christ. And those two disciples go and find family members and they lead them to Christ. I found Jesus, Simon. I found Jesus, Nathanael. Later on in John chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but later on in John chapter 12, we find the continuation of what a disciple maker is because there were those who went up to worship at the feast there. Some of them were Greeks. And these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And so Philip goes and tells Andrew and then Andrew and Philip set up a meeting Between Jesus and the Greeks. That's what discipleship is. So I ask you today two questions. Number one, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you follow him? Do you follow his word? Do you follow the leading and the drawing of Jesus Christ? Do you you find yourself drawn into his presence? That's the first question I must ask you today are you a follower of Jesus Christ the second question that I ask you is are you currently leading anyone towards Christ now again I reiterate leading is exactly that you cannot save them you cannot fill them with the Holy Ghost but you can again you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink sometimes all they need is to be shown the water Specifically that living water of John chapter 4. That living water where Jesus stood up on the great day of that feast and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. I'm simply asking you today, are you leading anyone closer to Jesus Christ? I remind you again, I reiterate it again, Brother Gleason's uh, definition of a disciple. How do you know if you're a disciple? Is anybody following you. Last year we saw this take place on a regular basis and I am so thankful. I thank God for 33 people last year that were either filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in Jesus' name. I thank God for that. There were 17 that were filled with the Holy Ghost. There were 16 that were baptized in Jesus' name. But I still stand, I'm still believing this year that we're going to hit 52 at least of these that happen. This offer of one every week, I believe, we're going to see. In fact, I still give you the offer that I made last year. If you're living for God, if you're... A member of this church if you're making disciples and if someone that you're leading says I want to be baptized I'm gonna give you the first opportunity to stand in that baptismal tank behind the screen and baptize the one you led because that's what we are called to do go into all the world preach the gospel baptizing them in the name above every name in Jesus Christ the hour grows shorter and the harvest field ever greater. I echo, the words of, I echo the words of Jesus when he said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. You've heard that verse before, but I would remind you that that verse comes directly after the first verse that precedes that. Where the Bible says Jesus sent 70 disciples, two by two. And the Bible specifically says he sent those disciples into the places, every town and place, where Jesus himself would go. Jesus' desire for disciple makers... Jesus knows the end from the beginning. Jesus has all things. He says, I'm going to send you where I'm about to show up. I need you to go prepare the ground. I need you to go prepare the place because when I show up, I want there to be hungry hearts ready to receive. If I may, I believe that here in O'Fallon, in the st. Charles metro area in the st. Louis regional area in our surrounding com- communities that the Lord is already starting to show up there are things that are happening every day God is saying I'm ready to pour out my spirit in O'Fallon I'm ready to pour out my spirit in st. Charles I'm ready to pour out my spirit in Troy I'm ready to pour out my spirit in Winfield I'm ready to pour out my spirit in Ellsbury but I've got to have some disciple makers that are willing to go before me I'm ready to to send out my spirit into your community, into your neighborhood, even so far as to own your street. But I need disciple makers that will go before me and prepare the ground. And so, I come back to your voice and your words of wisdom and encouragement, Brother Sponsor, because you'll understand that in order for us to help facilitate this, this year, we're going to be launching connect groups see that's how God operates he says Brandon you're gonna launch this but I'm gonna send a missionary that's gonna tell an entire uh, country that was overturned by connect groups and so it is that here I, I, I want to simply share a vision and a direction for Lighthouse Church here at Lighthouse Church this Wednesday or our next Wednesday you know coming up this Wednesday in our midweek service we'll share more of the how-to and, and and we're gonna even do a little bit of training we're gonna we're gonna show you this is not a hastily designed decision but that we've prayerfully done our godly best so that we can fulfill the mission of being disciple makers so I want to I want to just share some throughout the years of consistently reading the Bible, and I don't say this pridefully. I'm just saying it because I keep wanting to 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 just drive home the point of how important the Bible is. But I, I read, and, and and I I make it a point. I have to. It's the first thing I do almost every day. But I read the Bible. I made it a point to where each year I read the Bible completely through, some two to three times completely, and multiple uh, other ver- times. You know. So for example. I have now read the book of Acts every month for 40 consecutive months. After you've read the book of Acts through for 40 consecutive months, you start to see things that you miss if you just skim it over. And so I want to take you on a deep journey into the book of Acts chapter 10. I love the story of, of, of this Cornelius and what God did It's the story of Cornelius and Peter And this one chapter Encompasses the great commission So perfectly in just one chapter It shows the full range of emotions It shows the depth that God goes To put the disciple maker and the disciplee together Did you know that God works overtime to put people in our path each and every day that are hungry, desperately hungry to hear the voice of God? He puts those people on your mind when you wake up in the morning. He puts them in your path so that you'll kind of run into them. He puts them in your prayers. The book of Acts chapter 10 plays out as acts or scenes of a divine dynamic encounter. So let me put the scene out there for you. Scene one, the hungry soul. In Caesarea, 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 there we go, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort. Devout man, feared God, prayed, gave alms. He saw a vision one day, In the vision the angel of the Lord said Cornelius And Cornelius scared and in terror looks at him I'm paraphrasing, it's Acts chapter 10 Hopefully you got your Bibles open And the Lord says your prayers and your alms Have ascended as a memorial before God Now send to Joppa some men And bring back one Simon called Peter See in this way you see the searching heart Of someone who's desperate for an encounter with Jesus You you see the one who who is is hungry. And this, by the way, happens thousands and probably hundreds, maybe hundreds of thousands of time of, of time every day. It happens over and over. There are people searching for God. People that you don't even know about yet. People you've not even thought about yet. You haven't even met them, perhaps. But in that God begins to divinely orchestrate an appointment. And it's a place where disciple making occurs. And so Cornelius sends men and they set off. The curtain closes on that scene and it reopens on the second scene, and it's where you and I are today. It's the disciple maker's epiphany. I know I'm probably reading way too much, Brother Don, into Scripture because it's just so easy to get caught up in what I think the emotions are. But you've got Peter. It's just it's just a day. He's in Joppa. He's working, and, and, and he's doing what a good pastor would do, and he's just kind of sitting there. He's hungry, and they don't have food ready yet. Anybody else been there before? The food's not ready when you're hungry, and so he goes up onto the roof, which happens to be a normal place of... Of uh, they were flat roofs and kind of like what we would call our patios or our decks, and he's up there and, and he's just going about his business. Listen to me as I try to put your life into the life here of Peter, this disciple making epiphany Peter's going about his business he just wants to take a nap he just wants dinner to be served he, he's going to church he's a good child of God he's preaching the word he sees revival happening in the synagogues but there's something on the horizon that is about to break open the church of the living God it's not going to happen in synagogues any longer it's not going to happen in Jerusalem any longer God starts working Peter over Because Peter's not ready for it yet Peter just wants to sleep and wake up And eat his fried chicken He falls asleep and God begins to speak to him in a dream It's God's way of preparing Peter By showing him a vision of what's about to happen In a sense that's what this sermon is I hope for you and I It's a way of God preparing you and I By showing us a vision of what's to come he gets up there on his roof and the, he falls asleep if you will and, and the heavens open up and it looks like a big old sheet coming down and inside the sheet are all these animals of reptiles and birds of the air and the Lord speaks to Peter a a, 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 a man of Jewish heritage who, who still believes in the Jewish traditions and, and the teaching that is found in the book of, of, of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and he says Peter go rise eat kill and there's a pig in the sheet and there's a a snake in the sheet and there's a catfish in the sheet and all of those are animals that Jews typically do not partake of and Peter says I can't do that it's uncommon it's unclean I'm not allowed to eat that and the Lord thunders down and says don't call common what I have made clean. And so three times it happens. That three times is important because in just a moment there's going to be a knock on a door and guess how many men are going to be standing outside? Three. And so it is that Peter is inwardly perplexed. He doesn't understand exactly what's happening. But, But while he's pondering the vision the Spirit says to him go down, there's three men looking for you. Go, follow them. Do it without hesitation for I have sent them. And then you have the third scene, the connection. Here is the connection. God is putting two and two together. Peter, because of God's vision, Peter, because of God's direction, is being sensitive to what God is orchestrating. Peter walks down and he doesn't even give them a chance to introduce themselves. He says, am I the one you're looking for? Why are you here? What are you wanting to know? And they said, well... We have a master, his name is Cornelius, and he had an angel tell him that you're supposed to come to our house and you're supposed to tell us what God wants to say. The curtain closes. Scene four opens. Listen, this is the epiphany. This is where God showed it to me. This is where it all begins to happen. The small group. I'm sure all of us, or at least most of us, perhaps I could do that, most of us, have a working knowledge of the story of Cornelius. Most of us understand that it was there that that God allowed the Gentiles to be filled with the same Holy Ghost as what happened to the Jews in the book of Acts chapter 2. It's an amazing thing. We love it and we preach about it and we celebrate it that while Peter's yet preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on all of them. And we love that. But don't forget it didn't happen in a church. It happened in a home. I'm going to shout and celebrate the revival that occurs at the end of the service, or in the story. I'm going to celebrate that a whole family and friends receive the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't happen unless verse 24 happens. Would you put that up, Sister Jeannie? Verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. This is, this is uh, Peter, some of his friends, and those three men. But look at that second. Cornelius was expecting them And had called together His close His relatives And his close friends It happened In a home Cornelius hungry For God Says I'm going to find some other hungry people And I'm going to bring them in my home there's going to be some teaching go on in my home. There's going to be some Bible study going in my home. There's going to be some God moments go in my home, but it starts there. In order for a move of God to happen in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius had to open up his home, had to get his family and friends together, and in that small group, in that connect group, Cornelius had all of the necessary ingredients coming together for revival. Let me tell you about those ingredients. Number one, Cornelius was praying and reading his Bible. If you're not doing that, don't start a home group. Number two, Cornelius was desiring God to move in his life and move in the lives of his family and his friends. Number three, Cornelius desired for the voice of God to speak to his group. And number four, Cornelius reached out to find a way to get Jesus into his home And so Peter entered Cornelius met him Fell down at his feet Tried to worship him Because he didn't understand it all Peter lifting up Hey I'm just a man They talked Peter walks in He finds a whole lot of people gathered And then the curtain closes And scene 5 opens up It's the lesson In that small group Peter began to talk to him. I understand now God doesn't show partiality. God's not just a God of the Jews. But I I believe that every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what's right, God's ready to move that for the word he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's been happening over in Judea. You may have even heard about that upper room experience that happened over there at that church and how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy with, with the Holy Spirit and with power and how Jesus went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed with the devil. And, and I'm a witness, guys. I, I saw what he did. I saw him open the blinded eyes. I heard of the one that he raised from the dead after touching an electric socket and oh you should have been at church the other day when there were people worshiping God and the Holy Ghost fell I remember that we're witnesses of what has been happening and then they put him to death they hung him on a tree but God rose him up three days later made him appear not to everybody but just those that have been chosen by God and, and he commanded us to preach he commanded us to go forth he commanded us to, to bear witness now, it doesn't seem like a really good sermon to you and I. I mean, us apostolics, you know, us seasoned and Pentecostals, that sermon don't get us moving. But as, G, as Peter began to talk about Jesus, something began to happen in that house. See, there wasn't no deep theological explanation at the moment. It was simply Peter talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more that Peter began to just say, here's what God is doing. The Holy Ghost begins to move, and the curtain closes on scene five and unveils scene six. And while Peter is saying those things, the Holy Ghost fell on all who heard the word. The believers, they were astounded. Some of those that came with Peter, those Jews, they 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 were from the circumcised people. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles because they heard them speaking with other tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, Well, if they're going to go that far, how can I prevent them from being baptized in Jesus' name? I don't know, maybe they brought out a swimming pool. Not exactly sure how it all worked. And they baptized them in Jesus' name. It's happened because of small groups. Where do we go from here? How do you take all of this and put it into practice? Well, first off, we make it a point in our life to be a disciple-making church. I commit to you as your pastor, I commit corporately at this church, that Lighthouse is a disciple-making church. In that, we have a process that we're beginning this year. And I I can't tell you exactly when it starts. Hopefully it will be all ready to go about the first week of March. Let me tell you what the church is going to do. We're going to start with these next steps. It begins with connection to Lighthouse. Somewhere there has to be a connection. It might be a first-time guest that just happens to walk through the building. And that's happened several times. Brother Mike, you're one of those first-time guests that just passed in and walked in. It could be an invite from a member of Lighthouse that connected them to Lighthouse. Maybe it's someone that visited one of our community events like Trunk or Treat or Back to School or something like that. It could even be a connection through a small group. And We have that today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm thankful for what God's doing in Troy. Or it could be a number of other connections that will happen to Lighthouse. I'm telling you what will happen to the church. The next thing we're going to do, and I'm kind of excited about this. As you know, I love history, and I'm thankful for a church that's not a flash in the pan. This church has been here a while. Our next step is what we're going to call orientation. At, at, At... Set times every year, probably at least four times a year. We're going to have a special class on a Sunday morning. All of our Sunday school classes will go on. But it's for those people who made a connection to Lighthouse that wants to take it one step further. We're going to invite them to a special class. In that class, we're going to introduce them to who Lighthouse is. We're going to introduce them to the incredible history. We're working on a, a really cool video that's going to show some of the pictures of our buildings and previous pastors that have served before. Connect them to the depth that Lighthouse has to offer. They'll get to meet our, some of our pastor staff, maybe not all of them because we might be teaching in other classes, but we're going to introduce. It's a, a time for them to get to know and to connect and see what Lighthouse's visions and values and mission is. And then the next step is foundation. Again, regularly scheduled throughout the year. There's going to be an approximate six-week class that will happen during Sunday school times for those who want the next step. During those six or so weeks, we'll be teaching our Lighthouse Foundations course. It will allow for a biblical foundation to be laid in the lives of everyone who comes into the Lighthouse family. And finally, that next step is the step of integration. It's going to follow the Foundations class, and there'll be a Sunday morning that follows that class where we're going to share places for a person to get involved in the ministries of Lighthouse. Because remember our mission statement? That last word, become? We're pushing back to that. That every member is a vital part of the body of Christ. And that it's our goal to find a place in the kingdom of God that your journey doesn't end at a pew, but begins with ministry. And so it is that that's what the church is going to do. But I'm inviting you today, and I realize this is a far different sermon than normal. Normally we would come and we would have that that place of conviction and that altar call. But I would tell you that the altar calls really didn't start until about the end of the 1700s to the early 1800s. Before then, churches never had altar calls. You know why? Because while Peter yet spake those words, the Holy Ghost would fall. They weren't waiting for an altar call for something to happen. It just began to happen. So, so altar calls are a little bit of a modern, and really a, a, a modern America, understanding. And so today, we'll, we'll, we'll do it just because you're creatures of habit. They'll sing and the altars will be open. But honestly, I'm not so much concerned about what you do here at this altar. I'm going to be way more concerned about what happens when you walk out those doors and what happens on Wednesday when you come back. But I invite you today to join in committing alongside of me. Here, watch this. Let me step away from the pulpit for a moment. I'm inviting you to join me. Brandon Paul Buford in becoming a disciple maker. See, I've learned something. I think most of you that know me, you know I don't act hastily. Sometimes it's a detriment. I I, I wait too long to act because I'm, I'm too cerebral. But I have a real hard time preaching something, Brother Brian, that I don't do myself. Just kind of a bad place to get. So, Mike, Brian, help me out. When did we start that Friday morning meeting? Was it was it August of last year or September? So around August of last year, I began to look around and I said, you know what? We got so many new people coming. I, I can't handle this. And I said, I said, Here, here's here's Mike. He's been coming, man. God's been moving on him. And so I got about six guys that 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 could do it. And other than a, a couple of weeks during during uh, uh, the Christmas holidays every Friday morning at, at Winsville Family Diner there's been a group of guys that's been coming and we talk about God and we have a small group and out of that Brother Mike's been baptized filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost lives are being changed Brother Steve Harrison's been a part of that and some mighty things even some miracles that he's been praying for for years are starting to come to pass because long before I stood up and preached this as a mission of the church I had to do it myself I've talked to my wife. I said, Brianna I said, I don't know what we got to do, but we got to open up our home because I've got a whole group of people that's never darkened these doors that I have influence in their life. And I said, it's time for them to come. And so Sister Buford and I are going to be opening our house to people you don't even know because God's working on them. And so I'm asking you to commit with me today become disciple makers to say that we're not just committed to make disciples on Sundays and Wednesdays but we're committed to make disciples on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays I tell you today personal evangelism still works those one on one discipleship methods like home bible study and conversations you have with one and one those still work and we're also going to add a new one this focused efforts on small groups. See, I, I this is not, not, not. There's so much I want to say, but I'm running out of time. And Wednesday, come back. It's going to be the nuts and the bolts, and I'm going to explain how we're going to do this. Because this is not a a just grab people and have them come to your house. That's not going to work. This is not invite the people you're always with. This is not a church group together. We have plenty of those. Go out to eat after church if you want to do that. This is to reach those that are hungry. This is to reach those that are Corneliuses that have been praying. You ever notice when you really start talking to someone, you can go talk to someone at your job that you don't think has an ounce of spirituality in their body and then you find out they're reading their Bible more than you're reading your Bible. Why? Because they're Corneliuses and they're hungry so we're going to introduce. We, we've got an entire manual, about a 15-page manual on how to set up a group. And we're going to tell you what to teach for a little bit. We've got a whole, uh, we're going to introduce you to discipleship now, an incredible thing. You're not going to even have to, to, to hardly teach. All you got to do is just be able to lead a discussion. So I invite you to join me Wednesday for more examples. I'm, I'm going to first off start with God's Word because when I started writing this sermon and I realized I was already at 17 pages and I begin to do the math, if I talk about every page for about two minutes, that's about as long as my sermons are. And I knew some of those pages I was going to talk longer than two minutes on. Hence why it's one o'clock. So I've still got two Bible stories that didn't even get into my notes that I want to talk to you where I found in the Bible small groups so we're going to do that Wednesday we're going to give you God's word and some instruction, some training and some 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 plans as we implement our connect groups we're going to share our resources and help you to learn how to teach a lesson these groups are going to be twofold, they're going to be a, a, a home group where you bring people into your home or you bring some, maybe you don't do your home maybe you go to Starbucks, I don't know it's going to be more Bible-based, but there's also going to be interest-based groups. Brother Perryman, and I talked to him a little bit. He goes, I want a kayaking group. He says, I, I, they've got guys that are already going kayaking. He's got people who never walked in this church and go kayaking. But here's the thing. You're going to go kayaking, go have fun, go catch fish, but make sure somewhere in that moment, there's God moment. You take prayer requests. Ask them how their day's going. You pray for them teach them a little bit. Jesus did that all the time. Jesus got on a boat and began to teach them. Jesus picked up a a child and he taught them so you can do that. Somebody told me they wanted to start it and they didn't even know we were doing one. They said, can I get some ladies together and, and we just knit? If you want to, go ahead and do it. Just make sure somewhere in that you let God in. Maybe you're one of those weirdos that like to like run. Well, have a running group. Just given a moment to let God have his way. And we're doing all of this to fulfill the mission and the vision and the values of Lighthouse Church. Would you stand with me right now? A place to be loved, a place to belong, a place to believe, and a place to become.